The following is a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. Hollywood Redefined. From Los Angeles, California, streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live, breaking into Featuring in-depth interviews with today's most influential entertainment figures, highlighting their tips, tricks, and techniques on breaking into the entertainment industry. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host of Black Hollywood Live, breaking into. Hey, here we go. It's another edition of Breaking Into. Here on Black Hollywood Live, I am your host, James Live Jr. Welcome. Welcome back. It is the almost the end of January. We're moving right along. Second episode of the new year. So, of course, you can follow us on my Breaking Into page on Facebook. And on Twitter, I'm at Black Hope LA. That's B-L-A-K-H-O-P-E-L-A. Use the hashtag Breaking Into. And we can just continue discussion that happens today off camera. My guest today, I'm very excited to have on here. I'd like to try to bring you guys all kinds of people on here with all kinds of views and, and viewpoints and work because it's very important. I love diversity. And my guest today is someone who knows who's well-versed in all things Tupac. And we're going to talk about all his different credits when we're talking to him. There's a lot. But it includes an award-winning documentary he did, which I actually saw. I think I saw it in the theater, actually. So, Tupac Assassination. It was back in 2009. And his book is Tupac 187, The Red Knight, which he wrote with Michael Douglas Carlin. Is that correct? Yeah. My friend here, Richard R.J. Bond. How you doing? Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks now, do you me. like being called R.J.? Or I've been told you were R.J. Everybody calls me R.J. I'm that, calling you that, R.J. That's it. Everybody just calls so, me R.J. Call me it's R.J. Easy. So, okay, I, you know, I, you know, I want to get right into just um, overall. Mm-hmm. It's been 20 years. It has. So 20 years this summer, right? Or this, yeah, yeah, September this will be 20 years since the shooting. Yes. And, you know, Tupac and Biggie, mm-hmm. both. You know, that time period, which is kind of kind of resurgence right now with the whole NWA. Mm-hmm. And I think my thing back um, of that hardcore rap scene coming up, late 80s, early 90s, mid to mid 90s. Right. Why does it resonate still 20 years later, do you think? I think because we're talking about the same issues now that we were talking about then. Mm. Um, I, you know, I heard somebody say, you know, trend, uh, life moves in trends. You know, dresses, hems go up and down and ties get fat, then they get wide. <laughs> yes, that's true. They yes, go that's back true. and forth. You know, we, we kind of run on cycles. Mm-hmm. And I think that over the last, you know, five, six years with all of the violence that we've seen mm-hmm. in the police state and, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of the dissension, the Black Lives Matter campaign, mm-hmm. you know, it takes me back to that time, 88, 89, 90, mm-hmm. When that feeling was the same, I mean, you take a song N.W.A. F the police. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you look at that, could that song be equally as relevant today mm-hmm. if it was a startup song? If nobody had ever heard mm-hmm. it before, could it be? And and I think it was. So I think that's partially the reason why we've kind of come full circle mm-hmm. with society. We're almost back to that same spot again, where you'll see another voice. I believe come out mm-hmm. of it. Uh, that will that will really resonate like Pac and Biggie did, mm-hmm. NWA, all that, that 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 was a time that just spoke volumes about where we were as a society. God, spoke to it. You're absolutely correct. I completely agree with that because yeah. I was thinking about Public Enemy too, Fight yep. the Power, absolutely. Uh, now I want as a joke. All these songs that were just completely they could be used today. You're right. It could be yeah. used today. Absolutely. Like how do we get here? It's kind of kind of crazy. Yep. Now with the now we're gonna get into we're gonna get into some real nitty gritty in here, but just overall. Why Tupac for you? Because you've done documentaries, mm-hmm. 
Um, and you wrote the book, you co-wrote the book, and I said, well, what is it about Tupac for you? Well, I, I got involved with Tupac originally, and, and, and by, by extension with Biggie, uh, because of my close friendship with a fellow by the name of Frank Alexander. Okay. And Frank was Tupac's bodyguard the night that, that Pac was shot. And I met Frank within maybe two months after that had happened. Okay. And we'd been friends. Frank was godfather of my son. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was the kind of close relationship that, that we had. Yeah. And um, I watched the effect that that hall had on him. Mm-hmm. And I watched the value that he gave his relationship with Pop, the value that he gave his... Uh, it wasn't a failure because nobody could have predicted what was going to happen, right, right, you know, right. in, from his world, but how he fa- felt that he failed his friend. And I watched how that had a personal effect on the man for close to, you know, 17 years. Wow. And, and what, you know, some may say my, eventually, you know, he took his life mm-hmm. and, and uh, it, it stops to make you wonder. But my involvement with Pop kind of came along with my involvement with Frank. Got it. Because Frank okay. could never let it go. And wow. when we did uh, Before I Wake, when, when that came out, mm-hmm. uh, Frank had said a lot about his relationship with Pac. And that spoke volumes to me. Mm-hmm. So as my relationship with Frank continued to progress, and through that, by extension, I met Russ Poole. Okay. And my, I became close friends with Russ, and my friendship with Russ organically it just seemed to be the Bermuda Triangle of oh, information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so if, if there was something to know about Pac, just by saturation, mm-hmm. osmosis, really, mm-hmm. I learned who he was, you know, what he did, how he lived. Uh, and, and over the past at least 10 years now, I have surrounded myself with the people that were the closest to Pac. Um, Atrin Gregory, who was Tupac's manager for, for yeah. you know, his earliest years through Digital Underground and all that. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's yes. a close personal friend of mine. Yeah. We talk all the time on the phone. He's over at my house constantly yeah. over the holidays. Um, you know, when you have friends like that, that whose next relationship, you're just one person removed just one degree. from the man. Right. So as we became more interested in the man and his life, you become more interested in what happened to death. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I can't help the bloodhound sent to me. I come from a, a, a family of cops. Oh, and, uh, there you I go. chose not to be one. Oh, I said, you yeah. see that? I know that yeah. part. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it, the, the kind of the investigative side, the investigative mm-hmm. nature of my personality is there the pu- puzzle solver. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what it yeah, is. yeah. So, so it really, it really lent itself to that. And, um, it's, it's interesting how time has had an erosion on the solidity of the story in terms yeah. of alibis and standby stories and that. Yeah. Time has a way of eroding it because as people get further away from the incident, they tend to be more um, free to talk. Mm-hmm. If you feel like maybe you're, you yes. know, you finally made it, you made that mile where you, you know, statute of limitations or whatever, yeah. uh, you uh, tend to say a little bit more yeah. and you let a little more slide. And that's true. I can, that, that'd be the looser lips mm-hmm, start sure. to happen. Yes. Russ Poole said that he, he really believed that the case would finally get turned on a deathbed confession. Mm. That's what he said. He said it would take something big like okay, that okay. to really, you know, somebody just didn't care anymore. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and would put it out there because they wanted to rid themselves of the information. But yeah. There was no consequence to it. So. You know, it's a, you know, I when I think back at Tupac because especially I like I loved Tupac and Biggie. I, I like their music and stuff. And but with Tupac especially, um, I found I started doing research on him. 
how well read he was, mm-hmm. how he had mentors of different races yeah. and stuff. And it just it was one of those cases. It felt like for me, what I came across from watching one of your one of your documentaries and things and things that it was real life R E E L and real life R E A L that came together somehow for him. It did, and was kind of his downfall. Mm-hmm. Tupac was a, I, I just got done cutting a documentary for Atrin. It was called Tupac: The Early Years. Okay, and okay. we go all the way back to the very beginning. Yeah. We go back to Afeni and the, the oh, everything, yeah. kind of our own biopic, for lack of a oh, better okay, term. Okay, and it really gave me a lot of insight as to how he ended up by watching his the evolution there yeah, and how, what sure. it became. And, and you're right. Um, the move to death row after he got out of prison, mm-hmm. the Hollywood factor, mm-hmm. the being an actor, and, and watching how he embraced that. You know, Tupac always wanted to be the best that he could be at whatever mm-hmm. it is he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Fuller, Man Man, oh, yeah. who was his, yeah. his buddy, you know, said that Pac every morning would get up and he'd read the paper and he'd be reading yeah, he's Billboard. Yeah, totally well read. I yeah. mean, like... He'd be reading Billboard magazine yeah. and Man Man would say, what are you reading Billboard for? And he <laughs> says, well, I want to know who's number one. He said, what do you care? He said, because I want to do whatever they're doing, I'm going to do because if that's what got them there, that's what I'll do. Yeah. And and so he was. He was classically read, uh, poetry. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what made him, I think, so prolific. Just yes. right, 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 oh my right, God, right. I know. So, yeah. But it, also, it just made me feel sad because, I mean... He was full of promise. Like, if he hadn't maybe not went that direction all the way, he could be like Snoop Dogg today who got out of it, so to speak, and Ice-T and all them who kind of ma- you know, matured out of it, so to speak, and have careers and film and TV. And he could be one of those, too. I think there's a lot of people that believe that. I, I wonder secretly if, you know, everybody has a manifest destiny. Mm-hmm. And had Tupac actually not decided to go with death row or decided to go mm-hmm. the route that he went, his other alternative at the time was to become the leader of the new African Panthers. Oh, okay, yes, now, okay, yeah. So mm-hmm. if you put yourself up as that in that kind of a position where you get up to the, the, the heights of a Mutulu Shakur or mm-hmm. you get into the uh, upper echelon of the political movement, the Panthers or whoever yeah. You're still setting yourself up pretty high. That's true. No, that's true. So, yeah, you know, that's true. So, yeah. so it makes me wonder if you've got that kind of drive and that kind of ambition. Mm. You're such a bright flame. Would yeah. you burn out regardless true, of what that happened takes? So, so, so I don't. I, I think. I think that Tupac was a horrible tragedy. Mm-hmm. I think that Biggie was a bigger tragedy than yeah. Pac because there was no reason. Yeah, for him. There to was die. no reason for him to die other than just to cover up a, a yeah. lie. Yeah. And and uh, you know, one eight seven is is one of the few places I've seen that try to actually give a reason for why Biggie mm-hmm. Biggie was killed. Yeah, and and you know, Pac Pac was Pac Pac right. shot cops. Yeah, you know, know. there was, there was no, no sense that he wasn't. Yeah. you know, on some people's radar. Oh, he was completely no, no completely, doubt about that. Completely, but you know, Biggie Biggie wasn't like that. He had a completely different kind of personality, mm-hmm. and and so while some might say Pac was. You know the whip waiting to crack. Biggie wasn't like that. So, so when I look at the tragedies, they're both huge tragedies. And they're forever, they're forever connected too, of course, because they happen so within each other. Yeah, absolutely. But the months. God, I remember. I remember. I remember. I totally, I totally remember the time and stuff. So it's kind of crazy. Um, okay, so let's let's dig a little deeper. But one of the things I want to ask you is when you when you started doing your investigative stuff, and I asked this with uh, S. Lee Savage, who mm-hmm. does Three Out of Compton. Did you have any fears? Um, for your person, your life, anything going on when you were digging, when you were going to dig in? I mean, that's a, I think it's a natural question to ask, right? I mean, did you have any? Sure. I think that sometimes people's curiosity and their drive to seek the truth 
it becomes the anesthetic mm. that dulls the fear. Okay. You're so driven to try to find it, you're not necessarily looking in your rearview mirror to see who's behind you. Okay. okay. Now, I like that. Okay. Having said that, at <laughs> yes. the time I was doing assassination, I was living in Kentucky. So I was not in the hood, per se. I was in, you know, rolling green hills yes. with the split rail fences and, yes. you know, Drinking two and a half thousand miles away right. from the action. Right. And to this day, I, I still don't drive down to places that, you know, uh, where you would, might put yourself in harm's way. Yes. So, so I, I, I do say that. Now, I think more recently with the release of 187, I think that the closer that you get to the nerve, the more it could hurt. And I, and I truly believe that. Uh, you know, when we were doing the first assassination, there was a little bit of naivety because okay. it, I was early in the investigation. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, pointed in a certain direction. So they're like, yeah, he's okay. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you're not much of a threat no, no. If, if you're out bouncing around over yeah. here oh, yeah. and, and you're just considered to be the, the loony. Yes, right. Yes, you know, right, that's the thing. right. I mean, they, right. The, the village idiot, they let him run around, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. But but when you become focused and what sounds like this kind of cloudy myth starts to take shape and really gel, that's when you get people like Reggie Wright getting on uh, on the, the Internet saying that R.J. Bond's the next one to die right after Russ Poole. I looked that up. I saw some of that stuff. Yeah, yes. uh, you know, and, and so you look at it and you say, well, okay. You know, uh, you got to get close to the mark to get them all riled up like right, that, right? Right. You know, personally, I kind of I feel bad. I think once a year, right around that time, that's got to be Reggie's least favorite time of the year because as that date rolls <laughs> yeah, around, yeah. they're like, "Here comes the noise again," oh, yeah, yeah. and then it goes away. Oh, okay. And it does. It, it tends to be kind of seasonal, um, where you know people. It's mm-hmm. interesting at the moment, yeah, yeah. And then public attention kind of goes to the next shiny metal object, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I can imagine that as you gear up towards that season, there's a, okay, I'm just going to stay inside a little bit more. Well, are you thinking about the 20th anniversary? Are you thinking anything's going to pipe down for the 20th anniversary? I'm sure we're going to have no, probably... we have the biopic coming out. Okay, they, they, yeah. That's on the fast track. They're shooting that in Atlanta okay, right now. Okay, good, okay. So whatever talk, and, you know, I think they're spending $35 million on this movie. Oh, wow. And okay. the, the advertising and marketing budget alone is going to be maybe a third of that, maybe $10 million. Yeah, yeah. So you're looking at a huge amount of money being spent to put it out in the public. So the name Tupac and the Tupac story is going to be, be big yeah. for a very long time in that summer time frame next summer. Yeah. On the 20th anniversary. Yeah. And along with that is going to be these nagging questions, you know. And and we live in a different age than we lived in 20 years ago. Oh, uh, yes. You know, we've got the media, the Internet, mm-hmm. all of these things. You've got, you know, TMZ. Yeah. You know, half the stuff that people used to get away with back in the 90s, yes. those shenanigans don't happen anymore. I, I remember. about that. Yes, yeah. I remember that. That's so right. You pre-internet. Yeah. Yes. Like Shug that. will tell you, people follow you around everywhere. Yeah. And the TMZs yeah. and that. They always got the scoop on it. So, they do. Um, you know, as a different world, I think that, that now some bigger questions are going to be asked around that 20th anniversary because you're waking the public back up again. Yeah. So those folks out there who may not know or do know, they did the 20th anniversary of the, of the deaths of Tupac and, and Christopher Wallace, who is uh, Biggie Smalls and Notorious B.I.G. And, and both, if I'm correct, both murders have still unsolved, completely still Absolutely. unsolved. So that's what we're talking about. And, and you've been doing some research and, and trying to dig in. And so who are some of the major players that are in this, in Tupac's story or, or in this story period that you're talking about? Well, let's start there. Sure. Um, you know, originally, um, when we did the first assassination mm-hmm. movies 10 years ago, we had 
we had pieced together the events that had happened pretty, pretty, pretty accurate chronologically in terms of a timeline of events. And that's the first thing you have to do when you're deconstructing anything, try to figure out who was where at the time. Okay. And, you know, from there, we headed in a certain direction where we were able to point uh, a, a hard line in relationships between some of the key players. We'll talk about okay. in a second. Okay. Um, as we did the second assassination movie and then working into 187, we started to turn a corner a little bit mm-hmm. on, on the investigation of where we had looked because mm-hmm. we had always drawn a dotted line to Suge Knight. In that, Which in, I think everybody in, in the assassination. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Naturally. Um, yeah. And we, we, we drew that, but... When I interviewed Brent Becker, who was the in, from Las Vegas uh-huh. Metro Police Department, who was the one of the lead investigators okay. during during the Tupac shooting and throughout the case, um, he made a very interesting comment. He said that a CEO of a major corporation would be shot at in Nevada. That would take a major investigation okay. if it was Bill Gates. Somebody oh, tried to shoot yes. Bill Gates yes. while he was at the Mirage. Yes. That's going to draw major attention. Yes. And he always felt like, in our conversations, Becker always felt like the the shooting and the death of Tupac Shakur t- still took away some of the heat and the steam. But you realize that somebody was still shooting at Suge Knight, too. You know, one of the yeah. most powerful oh, yeah. men in rap. Yes. The most powerful men. He had unlimited sources of money that he could mm-hmm. do whatever he wanted to do mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And you're going to not only shoot at Tupac, that's one thing, but you want to shoot at Suge Knight, the man who's got the power and the money and the connections, mm-hmm. that's a suicide mission. Yeah. It really I, is. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So uh, so I, I think that um, we had looked at that and, and that, but as the more research came in, the more people that we talked to, the more interviews that we did, uh, we watched the investigation kind of turn the corner and look more at that maybe for once Tupac wasn't the target. Maybe Suge was actually the target, and maybe Tupac oh. was... We won't say collateral damage, but but yeah. he and Christopher Wallace may not have yeah. been. Uh, they may have been sacrificial lambs for a okay. broader uh, for a broader activity. Wow! And so well, that be, well, when you say that, it brings a bigger question: than Why is shouldn't I have been taken down? Yeah, I mean, there's been other things that have happened to him since, but he's like still well, kicking. I, you know, with with <laughs> all Teflon. respect for Suge, yeah, he's the Teflon man. Oh. You know, he's he's been shot so many times, shot at so many times. Yes, you know, uh, this foolishness that happened yes. with, the, with the truck and yes. uh, grabbing the camera from the reporter. He, he certainly not helped himself at all. No, you know, not at that, all. But mm. he he's a character. But I think that what's ultimately saved Suge is. What he knows. Mm, okay. You got to remember something. You're you're from the Compton. Yeah. South Central, yes. Yeah, South Central area. Yeah. When you get to a certain point in your life and you know a certain amount of people mm-hmm. and you grow up with these people, mm-hmm. you kind of know where the bodies are buried. Yeah. And most mm-hmm. of the time that's in a metaphorical sense. And this time, okay, well. So I think that... that you yeah. tend to be looked at two different ways, especially when you have a lot of money, you have a lot of influence in the area, like Suge Knight had, yeah. David Kenner, and some of these other yes. people there. Right. At that time, you know a lot more, not just about your business, but about other people's business. Mm-hmm. Drug dealers really don't care, just between you and me right. and everybody listening. Everybody listening, everybody right? Everybody watching, everybody listening. Else <laughs> on the planet. Um, you know, drug dealers don't make any pretense about what they do. 
They don't. Sure so don't. if they you don't. say you're a drug dealer, they okay, and? Yeah, right. They do that. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are, you know, crooks or criminals or in a mob or whatever, I mean, they really don't make a lot. They don't try to hide what they no, are. that's true. But they're, in one sense, they're the purest form of honesty. Yeah, Take it or leave it. Yeah. This is This is the right. person I am, and, right. you know, until somebody catches me, put me in jail, this is what I'm going to do. Right. So what you have to do is you have to turn the scope and you have to look at the people that may not want that, that may be telling you something that they may not want something else to be okay. revealed about. Okay. And I think that Suge Knight knows a lot about that. I'm sure. And I think he knows a lot about a lot about the inner workings of things. Okay. And uh, when we wrote the book, 187, we went as far as to say that there was just some people that wanted him out of the way. Wow. Okay. And, yeah. And so, they were going to do what they could to get him out of the exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. And business was going to go on. And, right. and the, the book makes it very clear that since the beginning of this whole thing, it was either going to be Suge Knight is dead or Suge Knight is so far and put away in prison that nobody's going to believe him anyway. You have a good point. The business is going to go on. That was the West. That was the through line probably this whole thing is that business had to continue as, I mean, just, it's just get him out the way or yes. get whoever out the way. That's right. And, and there was enough of a machine that was already in place that when he started putting himself on the cover of Vibe magazine, mm-hmm. when he started putting himself out there, oh, yeah. his affiliation with the Bloods, I he, started that. Drawing, yeah. he started drawing a harsh spotlight on he did uh, on a lot of people who really just didn't want to have a spotlight put on them because mm-hmm. it was getting in the way of business. Yes. So I think that that it, it, it's more than plausible to believe that when you have a certain amount of knowledge, people might want to put you away because of it. Yeah. To silence you. But the other half are scared because of what you might, in mm. any particular situation, choose to reveal. Yeah. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. Because Suge Knight was about leverage. When you look at the whole thing with, with Tupac and, and all that, everything Suge Knight did business-wise was all about leverage. I had something on you. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you look at people that, that yeah. look do business, when they know how he does business, they think, well, could he do that to us, and what would that cost? Yes. What would that look like? Right. So that, that's how that rolls. Wow! And so and so when you started to when you started you made the through line you made the connections. Okay, we have the timeline of of what kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. Then you started to do your investigation. What are some of the things that you were starting to find? Well, the like, first thing I found was how many people hadn't talked to the police. Okay, I was stunned. Wow! And, and actually, uh, to tell you the truth, assassination wasn't assassination when it first started. Okay. It was actually going to be about how the music industry had changed since Pac had died. Okay. okay. So it had a completely okay. different focus. But as we started to interview more and more people that knew Pac were around at the time and mm-hmm. were actually eyewitnesses to what happened that night in Vegas, mm-hmm. they kept coming up over and over again. Have you been interviewed by the police? Nope. Have the police talked to you? Nope. Because isn't, isn't it weird? Like, I mean, you're in Vegas where there's ton, thousands of people all mm-hmm. the time outside everywhere on Las Vegas Boulevard. Yep. And no one had, they don't, they don't, there's no information at all about anything. Right. No one saw anything. Yeah. yeah. That's, that, mm-hmm. yeah. That's so, weird. so I, you know, that was the thing, the biggest revelation that we had was how many people hadn't talked to the police. Wow. And, and you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, how thorough of an investigation can you really do if you're not talking to anybody? Right. You know, why not? Right. Uh, Michael Moore, who was one of the yes. bodyguards, had never talked to the police. And uh, he, he had a, he had so much to say about the yeah. details of what went down that night. To me, it's just a question of why not. Uh, you know, normally when you do an investigation, you ask everybody because you don't know. I mean, the guy that's standing on the street corner 
could see For, you know yeah the, something the sterno bum sitting on a corner yeah, you know yeah he may you may not be able to put him up on a stand but he mm-hmm. may provide you with a single piece of information that turns the whole case to where you can take it in a direction that it would go and then use that to talk to other people so why weren't they talk, why weren't they talking why weren't the police talking to them what did you find <laughs> like what are some things you found it was largely just disinterest Oh really? Yeah, it was largely just as because he's a gangster rapper. I mean, like, what was it? There's, there's, well, there was, there was a theory that existed with us, or a belief, I should say, that existed okay. with us for almost, you know, ten years, that the Vegas police just didn't want to cause the stir of a, a rapper, and they didn't want the rap community in Vegas. And they didn't want the okay. whole. Uh, the movement in in there, they just didn't want another high profile kind of OJ case. They'd seen what OJ Uh-oh. had done in LA. Okay. Okay. Don't forget, you got to put this in perspective. Yeah, you know, OJ was being tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OJ was being tried. That was such a zoo and such a circus, yeah. media circus, and oh, the yeah. cops, Mark Furman, they were all coming under fire. Mm-hmm. You know, by the defense, right, wrong, or indifferent. A lot of people think Vegas just didn't want to deal with that. So they said, you know, it's better just to put it up on the shelf. Russ Poole had told me directly that when he talked to Vegas police, they took him and showed Russ all of the murder books. And there was 22 or 25 murder books lined a whole shelf. Russ said, I'd really love to look at those murder books. And Vegas police said, you're not going to look at them. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're not going to look at them. And nobody's going to look at them. And that's it. And so for the longest time, we thought it was just kind of grave indifference. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the Vegas Police Department. More recently, in the last few months, we've come across some information. We're still checking it out, okay. but it may color that indifference into something a little bit deeper. So stay tuned. Okay, stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned, for stay tuned folks. We'll have a follow-up. We'll have follow-ups. I mean, that's that's, that's, that's so interesting because you're right. You have, something happens. You talk. You talk to everyone in the area mm-hmm. to get what's going on. Who was there? But this didn't happen. Right. So what's the next thing you found out? You, you have that already going on. Right. So what's the next thing? Well, we, the, the, when we talk to people, it's amazing what you talk to. When you talk to people and actually find yeah. information out, you find yeah. out things like what happened with Michael Moore. What happened that night with mm-hmm. the confusion regarding the the radio that Frank Alexander didn't mm-hmm. have, okay. and the instruction by Reggie Wright and the right way people at an attorney's office on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, to not carry their weapons. Um, oh. Death Row Dave, who was uh, Suge Knight's driver, okay, uh, and uh, he said that actually there were two meetings in Vegas that day. Okay, uh, one with the rightway security staff who were told not to carry any weapons, and then there was another meeting that was that took place with the Las Vegas off-duty cops and some oh. other cops from the area that were providing the security at Club Six Six Two, and okay. they were also instructed. Interesting. Not to carry any weapons. Hmm. So there's there there's some some controversy there. We started to dig into that. What was okay. that? What was that all about? Yeah. What was about the radios? Why was there yeah. not? And then of course there was Michael Moore's bombshell that he heard over Reggie Wright's radio got him. Interesting. Well, now we have a case. Now we have something right. to work with. Okay. So we started just. You know, you kind of just draw down on a piece of paper, and they're almost like swim lanes in a in a yeah, pool. Yeah. You work each swim lane individually. You work each Got part it. of it individually and see where it goes. So we said, well, if they haven't talked to Michael Moore, who else haven't they talked to? Okay. So then we started looking for people that had not been talked to, looking for people that were close okay. to the situation. And then from there, we then expanded it to other witnesses. Um, you know, witnesses can't aren't just... People that eyeball witness something. A witness can be somebody who 
knew of a predicate event, something that okay. happened prior to the actual event itself. Okay. Okay. So, for example, Lena Sunday, who was a, a jazz artist and a very good personal friend of Tupac, had a conversation with Tupac on the telephone right before he went to Vegas and was talking about Suge was going to be okay with the fact that he was going to leave the record label, they were working it out, and that was why he wanted to go to Vegas. And she said, don't, just stay at home, watch the fight like the rest of us do on TV, mm, right? Okay. So these are people that had pieces of information, conversations with Pac right before. It puts you in his frame of mind what he was doing at the time, uh, and then also gives you a picture of the events that would cause motive. Because Pac wanted to leave Death Row. Yeah, I believe that to be. I mean, true. I've heard that, so I want to make sure people who at home, if you don't remember, I'm sure that he was, he was, that was his plan. And so, of course, the leaving Shig Knight is not easy. I'm sure. Well, according to Michael Moore, there was a uh, there was a, a confrontation between Suge and Tupac okay. in New York at, oh, okay. at the uh, MTV uh, Awards. Oh, okay, yes, I've heard. Okay, where, yes. yeah, they were talking about Death Row East, and they had that kind of yes, thing going on there. But uh, earlier in that day, before the awards show. There was a confrontation between Suge and Tupac because Tupac had heard some uh, uh, an interview done with uh, with um, uh, Snoop. Oh, yeah, Snoop, yeah. And Snoop had said, "Hey, I have no problem with anybody from the East Coast. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I can record Remember with that. whomever I, you mm-hmm. know, whomever you know, I want to record with. I don't, there's no personal beef here." And mm-hmm. Pac got mad. He spun the limo around and he went back to the hotel looking for Snoop. He, was, he wanted to have one on one with him about that. Dang. And he didn't find Snoop, but he found Suge instead. And from what I've learned about Pac, and, and 10 different people have testified <laughs> yeah, to this, yeah. Pac will just unload on whomever he wanted to unload on. Okay. It didn't matter. I mean, you were in the line of fire. You got okay. yelled at. He, okay. Shock G just said it. He said, you got Shock screamed G. at. He said, it didn't matter. You get, if, you, if you knew Tupac, you got screamed at yeah. at one point or another. So, And it was just part of just knowing the personality of who he was. Okay. So he gets back to this hotel, and by the way, that's what also makes the story of Michael Morris much more credible. He's a bodyguard that was there at the time, and he witnessed the yeah, confrontation sure. between the two of them. Okay. And Suge asked Michael Moore to stay inside the hotel room while they had this confrontation. And that was really unusual because at death row, typical business was if you were not the parties talking to each other, you stepped outside the room Alrighty. because there was conversations that you were not going to be privy yeah, to. right. But Michael Moore believed that he was asked to stay inside the room because Mr. Knight was going to take a take Tupac's head off oh, during okay, that, okay. that conversation. Okay. It got that physical. Yeah, okay. it got that blow to blow. So we had this whole setup that happened on mm-hmm. on the fourth of September, mm-hmm. three days before Tupac wow. was shot. Wow. So you have this big confrontation. The flight home. Snoop did an interview on a radio show not more than a couple of years ago, where he talked about the flight back from New York and how mm-hmm. scared he was. From Snoop, oh, wow. and, uh, from excuse me, from Suge and from Tupac, that he had to cower down with a blanket over him and a wow. plastic fork and a knife <laughs> that he was trying to protect himself with. Wow. That must have been a long plane ride home. I'm sure he was yeah. only like four and a half hours, five hours in New York came from LA from Las Vegas, but exactly. four hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, and what's funny is again going back to what I said about people, you know, talking a little bit more now about things that happened then than they had in the past twenty years. Yeah. You get this whole big story about Snoop that fills in the gap between that confrontation. Mm. And then the events that happened yeah. in Las Vegas. And suddenly Michael Moore, who was originally kind of said, well, do we know, you know, kind of, do we really know this guy's telling the truth? What do we know? Well, the guy had no reason to lie to begin with. But even if he did, his story becomes much more credible mm-hmm. when it's 
when it's enhanced by mm-hmm. the events with 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 Snoop. Makes when, sense. When Snoop's talking about that, so we know that in New York they had this confrontation. Yeah. And they were going to go back. And, then of course, there are many witnesses who said that Tupac really didn't want to go to Vegas. Oh, that was the okay. big thing. He didn't want to go. He was, he, according to Glow, his aunt, and a lot of other people, he made some excuse up about wanting to go see his cousin Kenny for stealing a rifle in, okay. in Atlanta. But at the end of the day, he was happy. He was actually in his in a relationship at the time yes. with Quidada Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, was yeah, happy. Yeah. He had his house in Calabasas that yeah. he thought he owned, but he didn't. But Oops. yeah, he had his house, mm-hmm. and he wanted to play house. He wanted to stay home and actually kind of do what normal people do. Mm-hmm. That was a part of Pac's life that Pac had never had. No, that, right. That stability. Right. That that sense of I can hang my hat and know that it's going to be there mm-hmm. the next morning. I mean, Tupac came home one day back in Marin City. And came home to an empty apartment. His mom had moved everything out and disappeared and left him with an empty apartment. Right. I mean, you imagine the impact that has on your right. personality. Right. So, so at the end of the day, you know, uh, Tupac had this confrontation, and this was what all set the stage for what was happening in Las Vegas. So wow. these are the interviews okay. that we did to start collecting and Got building it. the story. Got it. And, of course, with the story comes motive. So now we're on to the next one. Now let's move on to the next one. Now we're on to motive. What were you finding then? What did you start to find? Well. You know, so you take, a, take a drink. This is, this is, this is, this is like, this is real. <laughs> if, it, if it was true, if it was true okay. that Pac was going to leave the record label, and okay. most people are in agreement that he, to that. some degree or another, he was going to. Okay. It was either going to be he was going to start, get out of the music business entirely and focus on acting. Okay, I heard that. And I've he was going to be a producer for other people like the Outlaws and things yeah. like that through Machiavelli Records, which was yes. a label. Yes. He was either going to leave Death Row and establish a relationship directly with Interscope. Because remember, mm-hmm. Interscope was the parent. Death Row was mm-hmm. the the child. Yes, exactly. And for Machiavelli Records to be a child of the child, that didn't make a lot of economic sense. No. Because why would you just give somebody a piece of what you're doing if you're going to go right. do the same thing yeah. they are? Right. Not to be a competitor, but at the same time to coexist yeah. with under the Interscope label. Makes sense. So uh, there's a couple of v- varieties of that story that I've heard, okay. uh, and all the way up to and including that he was just going to literally start his own record label, and that was the end of it, and he okay. wanted nothing to do with Death Row. Got it. And the conversation with Michael Moore, whether or not Pac was heated or not, that's what he said. Okay. okay. You know, he said, you can have Machiavelli, I just want the hell out of here. Just, okay. I'm done. I'm done. Got it. So um, that was that was kind so of that was kind of that was kind of there. That's that's out there. Yeah. So leaving. there was motive on the part. You know, maybe Suge was mad about losing right. the artist. Maybe he was mad about the money he was going to lose for losing the artist. Maybe he was just personally insulted. Don't so, say that. Don't say that know, too. Yeah. And that's why the public really puts a hard hand on Suge because he's the guy with the closest motive. Mm-hmm. You know, if, mm-hmm. if it's something more vague than that, and of course, you know, the Orlando Anderson beating. Theory, right. you know, there's a guy who's got motive, but it's a different kind of motive. Yeah. Um, it, but it doesn't have as fierce a motive as somebody that wants to kill you. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know yeah, I mean? sure. So, so that's why me and a lot of other people, we still put that dotted line. We could never put a, a solid line okay. to it, and that always bothered me because yeah. you had to answer that question. If he was, if he was the one who was responsible for it all, would he put himself in the same car as Tupac and get shot at? That's true. Okay. That, wow. Okay. And that was the number one critique when we put assassination out. Yeah. That was the number one critique that everybody had with the Makes movie. Is they said this is the big unanswered question. Right. Why would you do it? Now, 
since that time, Suge Knight has shot himself in the leg on purpose oh, at yeah. a nightclub. Yeah. Okay. Over for insurance or for whatever yeah. reason he did it. Yeah. So if you're willing to take a gun and shoot yourself, yeah, yourself. for whatever reason, uh, yeah. having somebody else shoot at you with reasonable expectation that they may not hit you, right? Well, it doesn't seem so. Doesn't seem so crazy anymore. So all the invest- all the investigations you've done. I mean, so t- as of today, you still don't have a solid line to show. No, and and, and in fact, that's what I said. That's when when we did yeah. 187, the investigation actually turned. We broke that line mm-hmm. because we know I no longer believe. That Suge Knight was responsible for it. Okay. Now people say, "Well, RJ, you went back. You said this. Now, well, was well, over time, over every, years. Every you investigation, right? You know, we, we put out the facts and we put out what we know at the time. At the time, right? And we ask people to be the judge. I, you'll never hear me say RJ says this, so you must believe it right. because I know everything. Right? Now, I don't claim to have that kind of degree or pedigree, or yeah, yeah, I yeah. wasn't the big investigator <laughs> that figured everything out. So you got to right. believe me. Blah blah blah. Right. blah. That, that's not the way I roll. But when when you look at, we put it out, you be the judge. It's actually on the DVD itself. You be the judge. Yeah, you, it is, put, it is put, here's the information. Yeah. You want to think Shug did it? Okay. Yeah. You want to think he didn't do it? Well, that's okay, too. Right. So it allowed us this window. We didn't paint ourselves into any corners that way. So that as we found out when I was working with Russ, you know, God rest in peace mm-hmm. now, but when I was working with Russ, Russ was willing to go apologize to Suge Knight because he actually also no longer believed after, wow. we, after we gave even more evidence wow. that Suge was not personally responsible and, in fact, was definitely a victim and may have been the primary victim, mm. the primary target where certainly somebody wanted to take out Tupac for reasons that yeah, may have sure. been there. Right. but. Was Tupac shot at? Was collateral damage? Was somebody was going after Suge? You know mm. that you Which certainly has happened before. Obviously, it's like that's not people have. There are a lot of people want to take out Suge. Yeah. So when you look at at, at how he how he was um, in the middle of all of these legal dramas and, and all mm-hmm. things like that, and One Oak Club, he's just sitting in right. a nightclub, and somebody people come in the back door, blasting. First thing they say is, you shot Tupac. Bang, bang, bang. That's what the witnesses heard. And he got shot. He almost died from it. And you figure, why now? Yeah. Why would somebody now want to have just go run up and shoot Suge right. Knight? I mean, you know, there's no there's no reward, dead or alive, for Suge Knight no. that I'm aware of anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, you, you have to keep asking yourself, you know, why? Why did it still continue? Yeah. You know, what what is it about this guy that so many people want to see him in prison or want to see him in jail. Yeah. Hey, again, no friend to himself. I'm not saying the guy right. was clean. I'm not yeah. saying right. he's the, you know, the, the model citizen, right. you know, Compton's right. number right. one model citizen. Right. But at the same time, you know, there, there were a lot of things that he was around and involved with that were bigger than he was. That makes sense. I can see that. And, I can, I can try yeah. it. That makes sense to me. I yeah. can see that. Do you, so actually, have you heard anything from Shig Knight through this whole time period? Is he said as he saying to Absol- you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he didn't say it to me directly. Okay, okay. He said it to Michael Carlin, who's my co-writer yes, in the book. Michael, Michael. And, and he said it to Russ as well. Mm-hmm. We were in contact with Shug's attorneys. Okay, uh, because remember, Shug's in prison now, and, and, yes. and he's in jail. I shouldn't say he's in prison. He's, he's in, in jail. jail. Right now, he's in jail. Right, he's and in jail. he's in jail with what they call a no contact order, which means that other than his attorneys, he's not allowed to talk to oh, a so soul. Oh, really? Nope. So you he can't, can't go in. He can't talk to anybody. And it reminds me of kind of like the prisoner of Zenda where he's <laughs> he he is completely isolated. He hasn't been convicted of anything. No, yeah, I know he has He's still waiting trial. Right. Yet they give him a no contact order, literally put this guy in How can he do that? Well, 
You you tell me. Yeah. It, you know, where they put this guy in basically solitary confinement yeah. where the only people he can talk to is attorneys. So what we did was Michael and Russ wrote a very, very short version of 187 because we sent the book to Shug's okay. attorneys and okay. said, you should probably read this. Okay. Because there may be more to this story than meets the eye. Got it. And we sent it to them. They go, we're going to read this whole book. This is 300 pages. We're going to read this book. So Michael and Russ came back with a, it was a maybe about 20-page version of the book. Where we just okay. bullet-pointed everything okay. like that. And according to Suge's attorneys, and now, again, I didn't hear this firsthand, but I have no reason to. But yeah. Michael's my partner. I mean, you tell Michael something, you tell me something. Right. Um, when they told the, the Suge, um, Suge Knight's attorney, um, Culpepper, I think was his name. Okay. Um, Thaddeus Culpepper said that when they read this document, the breakdown of the book to Suge, Suge's first response was, who the F are these guys? That makes sense. Okay. Okay. And and the second response was, how do they know all of this? Ooh. Okay. 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 And we got that from the horse's mouth. That's an email and verified twice that came from from Suge's attorneys. Okay. So we know that he is aware of it. He knows we're aware of the book, and he knows that there's somebody out stumping for him. Um, back in December, a year ago, December, Suge went on TMZ and he said something very interesting when they caught him. It was right before the book dropped. It was mm-hmm. during all that time when there was a little pre, pre-release for the book and all that at the time. Suge Knight made a very interesting comment. You go back and you watch the TMZ about it when they caught him and they see, he said that Tupac fans, if you're real Tupac fans, you need to be on the watch. You need to be on the lookout because, and, and alluding to the fact that things aren't what they seem. Okay. And for a guy who's been on record as saying Tupac's alive and yes. he's been saying that, for him to turn around and, and allude to the fact that, you, that they need to pay attention, that yeah. Tupac fans really yeah. need to pay attention, um, that said a lot. So, so I, I really think that 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 you know he ain't going to be you know throwing rainbows or roses at us or anything. But at the same time, I think finally. Somebody understands the bigger picture. What did you, you think of the hologram a few years ago? The Tupac hologram? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Um, I loved it. Uh, there was an actor by the name of Josh Harway who actually did some of the work. We just recently re-released the assassination okay. movies. Um, okay. And we added a whole bunch of new footage in it, too. Everybody okay. There you okay, go. So there's a good reason there to go. spend the five bucks. I think it's five or six bucks. Walmart.com or yeah, somewhere. Yeah, that's you what that, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we released a bunch, and we actually have some reenactments in there now. With, oh, okay. With Frank, when Frank was alive, oh, we, we, he okay. went and put on his old death row outfit, oh, and, wow. and he still fit into it, which surprised the hell out of me because <laughs> I couldn't. For I couldn't remember twenty years ago, you'd never get me Ooh, in anything. I me fit neither. In, right? Me neither. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Frank put his thing, and we had Josh Harway, who was a Tupac impersonator, oh. come in and do. The reenactments yeah. with him, so it's really cool. Oh, okay. We actually okay. went to Vegas, went to the MGM. I stuck my camcorder in there. <laughs> we took some surveillance type yeah. footage. It was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, but the the big thing there, Josh Harway was actually the body model for the hologram. Oh, okay. okay, when when they were when yeah. uh, uh, Dre was putting together the whole yeah, yeah. hologram production, they used Josh for oh, that. Oh, so oh, yeah, a little inside track. Yeah, on the I didn't know that. So, that's, yeah. that's fun. Yeah, I was just kind of, when I was doing. It, I was like, I wonder what he thinks about the hologram. I was just kind of because there is those theories that he's because you've done. I was dope. I loved it. Because yeah. <laughs> I've heard all the theories that Tupac still lives on the island somewhere making oh, new sure. music. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, like you said, you've done the investigative stuff. He mean, so I mean, he's dead. I mean, he's dead. Well, I think he's deader than Julius Caesar. <laughs> 
Okay, you, you know that, that's that. Um, you know, I, like I, that. I think you know, and the, the, the biggest evidence is that his whole family put it out there the best. Yeah. They said Pac, when he was alive, could never shut his mouth, and that's what got him into trouble. <laughs> and if there was no way for twenty years He'd that, be he, silent. that he would ever yeah. be be able to keep quiet for this long, that's no so way. funny. So yeah, so that to me, you know, when you when his own family puts that out there, yeah. you tend to believe it. Now you know, so his family. I read some of his family actually came to the Atlanta premiere of the the second Tupac assassination movie. Yeah, well, we did uh, Tupac uh, assassination two, which is yeah. called The Reckoning. Yeah, it, it was a direct DVD. It didn't get any kind of theater play okay. or any kind of big splash like the first one did first okay. one was kind of uh, that uh tupac reckoning was more of a follow-up but it was a much more intimate movie because we actually got in to talk to some people who had seen assassination and they said you know what we'd like we have something to oh, say good. about okay. this too okay and then that included his family okay and yeah glow cox who was uh, uh tupac's aunt yeah uh and pretty much raised him when a feeny went around yeah and um uh katari one of the outlaws uh, several a couple of the outlaws came to, and true story, we were in Atlanta actually shooting part of Reckoning. We shot Tupac Assassination Reckoning at the Tupac Shakur uh, uh, Performance Arts wow. um, Center. Okay. The, the Tupac Shakur uh, yeah. in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Yeah. At, at the foundation. And they gave us permission to shoot on the grounds oh, there wow. in the prayer gardens and all that there. So it was really nice. But while we were there, true story. We're out in the parking lot, and we got a photographer, and we're taking some pictures out in front of the foundation. And out of nowhere, this car comes barreling up and crashes over the curb so that the front of the car springs up, oh, bounces down in this pavement. Frank and I look at it and say, okay, we're done. Somebody's, co- somebody's coming yeah. to hit us. We're done. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this car comes to a screeching halt, and Edie, Amin, and the other outlaws all jump out of the car and come running over to Frank. They all, big Frank, big Frank. And you got to realize that, the, and this was 2009, yeah, 2000, nine, yeah, 2008, 2009 era, yeah. right there. They hadn't seen Frank, the outlaws hadn't seen Frank in 12 years. Right. And when they'd seen Frank, they were only teenagers. They were 16, oh, 17 years no, old, and they us. were in the car with Frank yeah. of the night of the shooting. Yeah. And we have some wonderful pictures from that. Oh, okay. And you know what? And if we interact with people and stuff like that, maybe we yeah. some pictures to show you. Yeah, yeah please. But, yeah. Um, but the Outlaws, that was the first time that they had ever been able to get back together again with Frank after 12 years to talk about what happened that night. Yeah. It was a very interesting discussion because they were re- they were remembering yeah. what they knew and what they had seen. And Frank talked a little bit more yeah. because they were kids. They were kids, yeah. You know? and, and so they, they remember a little less than Frank did. And Frank had been reliving it for years anyway. Sure, but, yeah. but it was so amazing to see the outpouring of love that we had in Atlanta. We went, oh, we good. were, uh, the Atlanta Film Festival, we took Red Carpet Premiere Award for yeah. that. Uh, yes, and also you also won uh, uh, the Spaghetti Junction Film Award that Spaghetti year too. Spaghetti Junction Film Festival, yep. That was, that was a lot of fun. And that was the one where the, uh, where the family came. Yeah. And uh, and sat in for for Reckoning. Oh, good. and you know Glow was in Reckoning. She she did an interview and okay. she rarely interviews with anybody. Okay, but it was so that was a big get for us. Yeah, but but uh, she you know told it as it was, laid it on the line. And Has really uh, Afini say anything to you? Well, my story, my Afini story. I think everybody's got one. Okay, I'm my sure you always hear things story, right? big, big or small. You know, yes. it, it, it all means something. Yeah. Um, Afini had been pretty hands off. She knew of everything that was going on with the movies, and in fact, I flew to New York to vet 
assassination with her attorneys okay. to make sure that they had no objection with anything we had in the movie. You know, okay. we were just making sure. And that was Frank's relationship with Feeney because Frank okay. knew Feeney very well, yeah, yeah. and he would never do anything to try to cross her or do anything contrary to her interest. Okay. So I flew, got my backpack on, and flew to New York and met with Donald David, who was the attorney for the estate. We sat, yeah. had Chinese food, and vetted the movie in his office. Yeah. And um, uh, much later, fast forward a little bit to Assassination 2, she'd always known what was going on. Okay. okay. And um, when, right after Assassination 2 broke, I think it was that next summer, summer of 2009, mm. I had a poster from assassination we did these you know those big posters 24 inch oh, yeah. giant movie posters yeah, yeah, yeah. that were two-sided well i had one of them we had a bunch of them but i kept one of them and i started getting people to sign my poster everybody oh. that was everybody that was in tupac's life okay or that we interviewed i'd have them sign my poster Okay, and and so it's just a silver marker. I mean, the poster's littered yeah. with signatures now, and it's framed and hanging yeah. in my office. But at the time, I knew there was going to have the Tupac birthday party. Okay, it was the first Tupac Shakur birthday party at the foundation. Okay, and everybody's going to be there, and the outlaws were performing and all that. So I took a whole you know, a couple of boxes of DVDs down to the foundation. I kept giving them DVDs because yeah. they'd sell them at the gift shop, okay. and they keep all the money for them. They were just just giving them out for them. And I brought the DVDs down, and I told him I'll be there for the for the show. And so we had a great time. It was wonderful. But Afini was there. Okay. And Glow introduced me to Afini. She's this is R.J. Bond. He's the one who did the assassination movies. And Afini started to cry. Oh. And she gave me a big hug, I mean, oh, just a welcome, warm oh, wow. hug. And you know, and I hear that she does this a lot with people that were close to Pop because you know, okay. they, they care about his legacy. Okay. That means a lot to her. His legacy means a lot yeah. to her. So she gave me this just the most warm, heartfelt hug. And it was at that moment I realized, you know, whether or not we're exactly spot on or we're not, we're right. We care. Mm-hmm. We give a damn about it. And and that's what meant something to her. Got so it. now take that forward. The next thing out of my mouth was. Will you sign my poster? Yeah, there you go. Okay, yes, when you yeah. get down, let's get down yeah, to yeah, it, right? Yeah, I got a Tupac assassination. You yes. know what the movie's about. You know where we're going with yeah. it. It's controversial. Yes. You know, what side are you on? Say you. Yes. Will you sign my poster? Yes. And she did. Okay. It was yeah, it, with peace and love and respect. Aw. That was it, Afini. That's cool. Uh, so, you know, and I proudly put it, you know, in my office. Still I'm sure. Day. I'm sure. So I, I truly believe that the family would not have been involved as much as they were okay. with Frank and with my, if they didn't feel like what we had to say was important. Um. So just on the on the Biggie side, had, did you talk to Faith Evans or his or Chris Ross's mother or any, anybody close to him, or did more Tupac? You did more of that. Then? Well, for a long time, I actually refused to do anything about Biggie. Okay, because the, and as I've come to learn recently, I was right. This becomes like a nine-headed serpent. You oh, can okay. deal with one, and you can really specialize yeah. just in one. Okay. But when you let it bleed over into the other. There's this cast of characters. If you read 187, we start with a laundry yeah. list of names. We yeah. start with a whole shopping list of who's who. Yeah, yeah. Because it looks like a baseball player scorecard. <laughs> you know, you got 25 names. Yeah, yeah. So the stories and then what happened with them and, and the motives, the players, you know, double, triple almost. Yeah. So for a long time, I said, no, we're not getting into the biggie side of it. Let's just focus on the Tupac side because that's what we know the most about. Yeah. Okay. And we did that. Now, when I met Russ, Russ was primarily me. Okay. He, he was the opposite of that. Okay. He was the Biggie guy. Wasn't involved too much with the Tupac. Knew enough about it to attach yeah. it to what was going on with Biggie. But when I met him, shortly after their Frank died, 
we kind of changed the focus and shifted the investigation. Now, okay, I felt like I was, okay, we've kind of pinned this down. Mm-hmm. Now it's time we can move over here and really start yeah. looking at this and drill just as hard with that as we did. That being said, we let Russ do most because he had done the original investigation and talked to all the players back in the day. Yeah. We used a lot of his previous notes okay. and a lot of the files and recordings, and things that he had yeah. from the key players. Um, you know, and, and sadly, and this is kind of kind of the way it tends to go when you're in the controversial business. Um, <laughs> yes. the, people don't always like to talk about. I respect. I have great respect for Faith because she's putting out new new material right oh, yeah. now about oh, yeah. about you know she didn't have an affair with Tupac. She really I've wants to put some, yes. some stuff out there about it, and and I really appreciate that. Um, that being said, we got involved with it right in the middle of the civil trial, the Wallace civil trial. When they okay. So in the city of Los yes. Angeles, right. we had a lot of conversation with Perry Sanders, the attorney for the Wallaces and, okay. and, and, and all of the attorneys there. So we were very involved with that side of it and mm-hmm. understanding the information mm-hmm. that was flowing in from an yeah. investigative standpoint. But I never, unfortunately, had the ability to directly go to Valletta Wallace. I didn't have that uh, level of access, okay. partially because I had Frank. Okay. Frank was so well liked by the estate and by Feeney. I was going to ask you how that's perfect. Yeah, Layla Steinberg and everybody okay. else that that I was able to talk to. That was how I interviewed them. Atron gave me the Digital Underground guys. I was able to interview yeah. them. I don't personally know anybody from the Biggie Got camp. It. I know a couple Got of bodyguards it. there, but they yeah. don't they don't have that kind of same kind of level of access. So okay. it's it puts me in a position no different than anybody else on the street who okay. would throw a rock at a, at a wall and say, yeah. you know, am I gonna get an interview with this superstar faith you know, faith yeah. how am I gonna get a hold of her? Yeah. You know, and then you get the gatekeeping with the you know, the agents and yeah. the attorneys and yeah. and so no, I the unfortunate and I, that I am sad about that that we didn't get a chance to really sit down and do that. Can't say we're not going to. Right, at some point, right. Because we have Assassination 3 coming out. Hey, there you go. Okay, so, yeah. uh, but then that's going to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, I promise uh, you that will wrap it up. One of my, because one of my fans actually asked me to ask you this, was like, it, it, once and for all, in your investigation, is there a connection between the Tupac and Biggie murders? There absolutely so is. Yes. Okay. There okay. absolutely that's is. That's one of the questions they asked me. They're yep. like, there, there, there absolutely that. is. And, okay. And, and, you know, it's, uh, uh, the next book we have coming out right now, the name of it is called The Big Lie. Mm-hmm. And it's based on the old Hemmler uh, philosophy. I think it was Hemmler that said, if you tell a lie often enough and you repeat it often enough, no matter how small the lie is, people will believe a big lie versus a small lie. And if you repeat that enough, people will believe it is the truth. Yeah, and, I've heard that. Yeah, so and that's what it's about. And And really the reason Biggie was killed was to cover up the lie or to basically – that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I stalled there. Yeah. Um, the Biggie was killed to perpetuate the lie. Okay, there you go. That makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And I've heard, I've heard you, yeah, you say something over and over again, it becomes fact. Yes. You know, I, well, I you quote, realize, it becomes fact. you got to realize half the people, if you were to go down to Compton right now. Yes. And you were to talk to any of the guys that are 28, 29 years old. Yeah. Okay. About that, they're going to tell you what they believe to be the truth about yes. what happened and what legend has told them is true. Yes. And they're going to speak it like it's truth with the most conviction that they might actually even pass a lie detector test because they're that convicted that that's what they know to be true. That's true. But those guys were eight and nine years old when all right. this happened. So And they weren't witnesses. They weren't there. No. So I could go down to the hood and I could interview 25 people who could mm. say that they heard from so-and-so that Orlando yeah. Anderson did it. But at the end of the day, unless you were physically there or part of it, yeah, you know, what, you, what use is that? 
So what is one of the most controversial things that you've run across that people viscerally have kind of come after you for? Like, well, I think the first thing was that we, we tried to pin the tail on Suge. Okay. Okay. And, that's and, and they said and they said he was in the car. Yeah. So that's okay. That was it. Yeah. And we got a lot of heat over that. Okay. Um, uh, and and again, like I said, it's it, and it wasn't so much the fact that we didn't stick to our guns because we never really came out and said that he was directly right. responsible for anything. Right. He, we just said he had motive. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but we get, we took a lot of heat for that. So okay. and that still follows me to this day. Oh, really does, people yeah. that really haven't read the book or uh, people that haven't you can remember from they see sound lights or whatever. Movies. Yeah, exactly. The oh, R.J. Bond. You know, yeah. he's a crazy guy. Like Shug did it. <laughs> so I would say that's probably the most controversial okay. thing. The second most controversial thing that we've done is that we came across a letter okay. that was called we call it the confession letter okay. uh, that was given to us by Chris Blatchford at Fox News. Uh, and this letter was given to him in 1998. Okay. Okay. By a gentleman who is now in prison. Okay. But at the time, he was a confidential informant for Fox News for Chris Blatchford. Oh, wow. And it was reliable. He'd helped him actually tipped him off to a couple of really big burglaries that had happened. Okay. CHP's offices got burglarized, mm-hmm. and he helped Fox catch the people that okay. did it. And this was back in the days when hard-hitting journalism, 1996. Yeah. The news was equal in step with the cops, and there was almost this competition mm-hmm. that if the news could break the story before yes. the cops got to it, yeah. you know, they were even better. It's not like that anymore. No. But yeah. back in the day, it was. Yeah. So there was a letter that was given to Blatchford. Okay. And this letter was alleged to have been written by Danny and Malcolm Patton. Okay. And the Patton brothers were Pyru. Oh, um, okay. yes. And <clears throat> they a gang in Los Angeles. Yes, it was yes. a gang in Los Angeles. I should say that. Yeah. Um, um, that the uh, the blood gang. Yeah. And that they uh, had mapped out this entire, not only a confession that they were involved with the shootings, but why the shootings happened, what was all involved with it to begin with. Yeah. And in that letter, uh, not only were the Pattons the ones who were alleged to have written the letter, but they named uh, a rapper by the name of Little Half Dead. Okay, for that name, yeah. Okay. And Little Half Dead has been kind of this, I mean, if he, he, he's not obscure. Okay. Uh, you have to be pretty hardcore, know yeah. the dog pound, and know who the yes. players are, to know yeah. who he is. Yeah. Um, so his name came up, but it was immediately kind of the scoff because nobody ever heard this before. Mm. And most of the people that either know him now or may have known him back then, they said, that's impossible. He could never have been the guy. Can you believe it? Mm. Now they're saying this guy killed Tupac yeah. for stealing demos and what a terrible thing that is. And well, I don't know. Yeah. Because, again, I, I certainly have and then people saying, oh, that's ridiculous. I haven't heard anybody come back with any reason why not. Right. Okay. Right. And and when so and and the problem was the letter got leaked by the Los Angeles Police Department. We went to the Ooh. LAPD first with okay. the confession letter, and we met with the four arguably highest members of the Los Angeles Police Department: Kirk Albanese, who was uh, okay. assistant chief of police there, uh, and um, three other um, high-ranking captains in the okay. LAPD, okay. and Darren Dupree, who was Greg Kading's ex-partner, and. Um, Supposedly the lead detective on okay. the Biggie Tupac killings okay. for the LAPD. And we met with them in an office, and Russ and I gave them a copy of the confession letter. And within several days, that letter leaked. And we weren't going to even publish the names in the confession letter okay. in the book until we'd had a chance to give it to the police first okay. to, to investigate. Because who wants to be irresponsible like that? No, of course you not. Know, at the end of the day. So the LAPD leaked the letter. 
Greg Kading and some other people that he was affiliated with put that letter online okay. and then started immediately saying, oh, how ridiculous this is. Oh, right. here goes R.J. Bond again. You know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. So uh, we did that. But again, like I said, nobody really has come back with other than, oh, that's silly. Mm, Nobody's really come back with a reputable rebuttal uh, to it. Rebuttal basically, to just saying, yeah. here's here's yeah. so you There's said a this. rebuttal online, and, and what the right. rebuttal they did is they went into a guy by the name of Robert Soria, okay. who was the guy who gave Chris Blatch for the letter. Okay, and Robert Soria is in prison. Okay. Robert Soria uh, was convicted of um, of um, uh, something to do with with uh, uh, rape. And it had to do with a oh. family member. Oh, wow. And, and so, you know, doesn't, not the greatest character, you know, Witness. character right, yes, reference, right? right. And, uh, and, and so he was largely taken down. And because he was the one who gave the letter to Chris Blatchford, they say, well, he all made it up. He's a paranoid schizophrenic. He made the oh. whole letter up. It's okay. all fake. None of it's true. Okay. And basically attacked the messenger because at the end of the day, Blatchford had already talked to the patents themselves. Saria was only the middle guy. He was just the guy who introduced the two sides. Okay. okay. So for these guys to come out and, and, and write the letter. Now, do I know that Malcolm and Danny Patton wrote that letter? No. I, no, I, no don't know. Right. I have no idea. I wasn't there. Right. Okay. Do I know that Saria wrote the letter? No, I don't know that either. So for somebody to say that Saria did write that letter... And then it was some sort of a joke. I, well, I, that's certainly a subject matter. I don't think I want to be joking too much about. No, not know? at all. So, mm. and the story goes that they owed Freeway Rick Ross some money, mm. and Freeway Ricky Ross. Yeah, oh yeah. And they owed him some money. Okay. And in 1998, Fox News and other news stations like it were still trying to solve the case. Everybody was okay. still hot on the case. It yeah. was only a year after Biggie got to it, mm-hmm. so they yeah. were still hot on the leads. If yeah. anybody could give them information that would lead yeah. up to that. And uh, Chris Blatchard has set up an interview with Patton's, and then they flaked yeah, out, and there yeah. was this whole whole thing, and that's kind of where the letters stopped. Okay. But at the time, according to Saria and according to a couple of other people that we've talked to, at that time, Fox News was paying a lot of money. And if they thought you could break a story that would get the kind of OJ ratings yeah, that yeah. you, you yeah. solved, Tupac and Biggie, yeah. that kind of ratings back in 97, 98. Yeah. They paid a lot of money for leads. And back then, people, there was no big internet happening. Some cable, but not a lot of cable like we have today. Right, that's right. Yeah. And so when you had these people that knew they could get paid some money for it and owed some money to some mm-hmm. other people, mm-hmm. well, maybe it was worth giving this to. Yes. Uh, we've also heard that it was an insurance policy because people were dropping like flies during those days. Yes. If you were anywhere around associated with it, there was some house cleaning happening, yes. right? Yes. And so, you're the organizer, you know, yeah, you've got to get rid I of do. that dead weight, right? you got to <laughs> yes. get rid of it. Trim the fat. Yeah, trim right. the fat. That's, That's right. right. Lean. Yes. So, so, yes. so then I guess Death Row was having its own lean initiative uh, at that apparently, point. Right? Apparently, you know? right. But when, when it came down to it, you know, people were dropping like flies. Yeah. And sometimes you can give the press a letter and you say, if anything happens to me, you're free oh, right, to put right, this out. Right. Put it out. I want you to put it out right now. I'm scared, but yeah. you put it out. Yeah. And and so the letter, like I said, they, they blamed the messenger. They said Saria was a schizophrenic and he made the whole thing up. There's been no proof of that. Uh, Saria has refused to. He's in prison. He's refused to back down on his story. He's refused to change yeah. his story. But to answer your question about controversial things, that was probably the most controversial okay. thing was the was the allegation in the letter. I didn't make the allegation, no. but the allegation in the letter that Lil Half Dead was involved. 
Got it. So, I, and you know, they say, well, R.J. Bond doesn't do any due diligence. Let me tell you, my friend, we do due diligence. <laughs> um, one of the things I did with Saria was I started asking him about details. Okay. Because you're talking about stuff that happened 15, 16 yeah, right, years ago. Right. So, and you're in prison. Right. You got a lot of water under the bridge there, right? Ah, yes. So, when we were talking to him a little bit more about what was going on, I said, you know, how did you meet Little Half Dead? I mean, yeah. how, how did you guys meet? How did the patents meet Little Half Where did they meet? And so he couldn't remember all the details. These were fuzzy, but he started giving me clues and, and descriptions of where they met. Mm-hmm. And the place that they met was a recording studio in Van Nuys okay. that they allegedly met at. Okay. And um, and he said he couldn't remember what the name of it was, but it was this place in there. Well, fortunately, that place actually still exists. Oh. Well, and when I looked on, rare. jumped on their website and looked at the things, one of the things that they did was they were very early on. Were a recording studio for Priority Records, which was Little Half Dead's label. Okay, well, okay. there's smoke, right? So, yes. so you know, and that's kind of where you say, well, you know, we're how, after 15 years, how close can you really get? How yeah. close can you? But when you start to pass the sniff test with mm-hmm. with somebody, and they'd already had a track record as a reliable witness anyway, yeah. uh, you know, somebody who had information. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a videotape. Okay. Now, that's the thing. We're trying to get our hands on it right okay. now. Okay. Okay, but there is a videotape okay. of a meeting that happened in uh in uh, Reseda, I believe it was, wow. where this letter says that the whole plot to take yes. take them out, yeah. both Suge Knight and Tupac was was hatched. Okay. And, you know, so stay tuned for that. Yeah. I don't have it, so don't right. come after me. Yeah, I don't have it. He's trying to get it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was, you know, and and again, does it exist? We've no. been told it exists. Right. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So, so we right. don't know. But, but that's the other controversial okay. thing. I, you're gonna have to come back because it just, I mean, our time is basically up. I mean, like, it's been, I mean, the hour went by so, I mean, like, it went by so fast. There's so much. This is, it's just why it's so fascinating, this story, because it's never ending. Mm-hmm. There's so many parts to it. Yeah. And actually, the, and the truth is, and this is what's good as a takeaway, is that, We've actually narrowed it down a lot. Okay. Uh, when you had a cast of players, that, I mean, it looks like, you know, <laughs> yeah. a chorus line. Right. You got 80 different players yeah, yeah. in there, big yeah. names. What's weird about it is if you were to read the story, especially the story we're going to put out, if you were to read the story, like especially with the police, for example, yeah. these players' names over the last 20 years keep popping up. It's the same players. You yeah. think that there was only four people in the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. You'd think that there was only four yeah. detectives in the entire L.A. police right, department. Right. These same names, it's a very closed group of people, yeah. but these same names just keep popping up over and over again. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's very interesting to me that the, for the size of the investigation, right. the more deeply we've gone into it, actually, the more the field narrows. Mm, interesting. That is, and, and mm-hmm. so that's the thing. So, yeah, it, it can be very complex. It yeah. Oh, my God. But, but, so yeah. I asked two questions of my guests, the same two questions, and then I'm going to ask you one last question after that okay. uh, regarding the Tupac. So um, I believe that language is something that we, uh, it's, uh could bring us down, bring us up, you know, all kinds of stuff. Language, language is very important. You're a writer, a producer, a director. Absolutely. It's very important. So what is one word in our vocabulary in the English language that we should take out? A word in the English language that we should take out. Of our vocabulary. It's like we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be saying it. So. Okay. Because I'm so tired. There's a whole generation of people right now. They start. I have a, I have a, I have a 22-year-old son. Yes. Who starts his conversations with and his lines with, so... 
I was thinking about this for so what's for dinner. And you hear it all the time. Yes. I don't know how it ever came around. Yes. Um, but that's another word I heard. Uh, I heard Khloe Kardashian on the Howard Stern show yes. use the word conversate. Oh, that's another one. I hate that uh, word. Too. Conversate. I said, well, who coined that uh, word? I know. So, you know, but I think that the word so. And it's funny you say that because, or I have a radio show also. I'll tell you on there too. I have a radio show and on adrenalineradio.com uh, every Friday. And my first show, long time ago, my mother goes, Great show, James. You said so like 900 times. Mm-hmm. And I went to listen to it. Like, oh, you haven't heard me say it until just now, but right. I've learned to take it out of my vocabulary. But right. I said so like 900 mm-hmm. times. It's yeah, like the I catch like, myself doing it all the time. Yeah, that's so funny. So, so you know, and I ask my wife, and, so what's so, for dinner? Yeah, so, so, and so, I, I love and, it. And, and, I, and I don't know if it's just because it's a verbal stall. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, or somebody's gathering yeah. the thoughts as they say it. Just wait a beat yeah. and then say what you have to and, say. And, and that's why I've learned to take it out of my vocabulary. Radio tip. Um, thank you. And then uh, also, uh, what word do you think we should, put, we should add to our vocabulary? Definitely not conversate. <laughs> I know. I agree um, on that one. All right. Um, a word that we should that we should put in. Maybe we should bring back. People should say. People people should say more. Accountability. Ooh, that's a good one. Accountability. Well, you know about that, don't you? I just, you know, the funny thing about it is, it, it, to me, and and just it just kills me. I see it, you know, at work. I see it out in public. It does. It just seems to be we're living in a society now where people just do not want to take accountability. Now that's different. The responsibility, right. mm-hmm. responsibility tends to point blame or tends to fix a you know a, a resource. Yeah. Accountability just means stating the truth that happened. Yes. Okay. I'm, yeah. Okay. I'm accountable for. Yes, I did some things that were wrong. Yeah. Reggie writes, "Oh, you know, yeah. oh, Pisha, I never did this, I didn't do that." Right. No, no, accountability is, you know, let's be honest about what really happened. Mm-hmm. Let's not paint it for what it is. Take accountability for yes. how things were. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to accept responsibility for it, right. but I'm at least asking you to be accountable for what right. it is. I like that. RJ Bond, thank you so much. I no seriously, you, you have to come back. You said you have one more question. And then I'm, 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 just, taking, I'm just taking you again. You're, just, you're, just, you're so no problem, good. Like the last question, and just, and just and it could be, and it's just a one word mm-hmm. answer. Do you think we will find Tupac's killers? I do. Okay. You said it, Cubs. Because you said we're going to find it. He's going to keep it. He might be the one who finds it. All your, investiga- all your investigations. I don't know. Well, you know, like Pac said, I may not be the one, but I guarantee you that. We will somehow motivate or somehow inspire somebody else that will. I like that. And so you can find books, your DVDs, all probably online in places and places. Tupac187.blogspot.com. That's Perfect. the blog that actually we deep dive on a lot of the topics we talk about in the book and in the movies. We really deep dive in there, okay. pictures, videos, all that. Okay. So it's all there. And I'll post that on a Breaking Into page so you guys can actually just close, you just click the link and get there if you want to continue the conversation and see more what he's talking about. Um, RJ Bond is great. He's also on Twitter at Justice4Pac, and that's a four at the... Uh, the number and number. Pac, and that's easy to say P A C. Yep, Justice for Pac. Justice for Pac. That's right. He's doing, you're doing it too. Thanks, and of course, you can find me at um, Black Black Hope LA on Twitter, L Black Hope on Instagram, and James Lachie on my Facebook page. Plus the Breaking Into Facebook page. Go to YouTube. Go to iTunes. Black Hollywood Live is there. Subscribe to our, our page. Find all of our other shows too. We love being here. Thank you so much for watching. And I'll see you next time. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, 
we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at BlackHollywoodLive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio. Instagram me at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Under Fine. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.